Testament chapter 9, if I could draw your attention for a couple minutes that we have together to verses 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I'll read those to you in just a moment. Thank you, Matt, and the rest for leading us. Um, Welcome to Big Woods, a week and a day. That's all it is, one week and one day. One week and one day. This is an exciting time of the year. I also think it's a time of the year that we can get very um, easily distracted from the message of the Messiah that is to be the central focus of Christmas. That's why we have a few few minutes together this morning to remind us of what I call God's surprising plan of grace and glory, Christmas time, it, it's a surprise to us. It is certainly not a surprise to God. Remember that. First and foremost, we need to bow our heads and pray that God would direct our minds and our hearts, direct my words, that he would be glorified in everything this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we do come before you and we are most grateful for these few moments that you've given to us, that you have allowed us in your grace, the freedoms that surround the health that gives us the ability to walk in here, um, the ability, Lord, to hear the preaching of your word. Lord, I would just pray right now and plead with you, beg that you would give the right words, that you would open ears to listen that together we would hear a word from you. Lord, our goal is that you would be glorified first and foremost, that our attention would be drawn, that all the loose ends of our, of our mind would be gathered together in the craziness and the busyness of this time and this season, that we'd be gathered together and that we would zero in and focus hard on you. Lord, we are still amazed. I trust that we will never lose the amazement of the love that you have shown us by offering your own son, Jesus, to to suffer on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, for Christmas season that just directs us to the Messiah. God, I pray, I know, no doubt, that there are some that that perhaps dread this season in, in many ways, that there is a heartache, that there is a hole in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would fill, that you would give the peace and the joy that you promised to give. Bring healing. Lord, the hurts that people have experienced, may this be a season that they understand the gift that is waiting for them, and they would accept it and receive it and celebrate Jesus. Father, may everything that is done be for you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I am, I am one who absolutely loves surprises. I love surprises. I love to be surprised. Um, yesterday, um, as a delivery truck was driving into our driveway, my wife said, no, 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 you stay here. I'll, I'll go get it. <laughs> and there was like, there were two little boxes. One was about this big, and then the other one was a little smaller than that. She quickly informed me that the bigger one was not for me, but that there was something. I don't know what it is. But it, you know, scurried away, got tucked away in a closet somewhere. I'll be digging around late at night looking for it. But I, I don't think I'm the only one that loves surprises. And, and this season, this time of the year, Christmas time, 
we, we love to look forward to things. I think that's the, the anticipation, the build up. Week in a day, week in a day. Tomorrow's going to be one week. And we live with this sense of, it's going to be better tomorrow, isn't it? Like, it's coming. We know that Christmas is something that is on the hill that we're getting to. And then what's interesting is that usually the day after Christmas, the day two, three, four days after Christmas, we're kind of like, wow, I, I thought it would be a little shinier than that. You know, when I saw it on, in, in the catalog, I saw it online. And it's not always the presents, the surprises. They don't always fulfill what we expect. Our expectations are pretty high. Uh, Pastor Mark Sayers calls Christmas a time of hyper-reality. And it's kind of true in, in many sense that our feelings, um, our senses are in overdrive. And we have, we kind of close our eyes and we just kind of hear the music. And we can picture the, the snowflakes kind of falling beautifully. And the food, we know that the, the turkey is going to be perfect and, and it's going to be on the table and family will be gathering and there'll be hugs and there'll be laughter. All of these things that we look forward to. The lights are so beautiful this time of the year. It's interesting. I think we like anticipation so much that, that when I was young, it was like a week before Christmas, people decorated. And now it's what? It's like a month or even longer. People love that sense of anticipation. What we need to understand is that that, that, that anticipation is not going to be satisfied totally on Christmas morning. You realize that the anticipation is not going to be satisfied on Christmas morning because we have a problem that exists and it's bigger than, than the gifts that are going to be found inside of that stocking that is hung by the chimney with care. We have a problem that's bigger than, than what a new sweater is going to satisfy or, or even if we have what? If we, if we get the Disney, Pixar, Cars 3 Ultimate, Florida Speedway track set, which is, happens to be one of the hottest selling items for Christmas 2017. Even if we get that, some of you, the commercials are there. You've seen it thinking you're going to wake up on Christmas morning and look outside your, your, your window and in your driveway, it's going to be this beautiful, new, shiny, it's going to have this big red bow on it, Alexis waiting for you. We have a problem. You're not going to get one, okay? Let me just, let me just clear the air. Let me, just, let me just tell you that there's a sense of anticipation that is not going to be satisfied with anything that has a bow stuck on it. The reason is, is that we are in broken relationship with our creator. Now, now look around. Any, anyone can see this. Destruction is all around. And I know that doesn't sound real, real, real sweet and Christmassy. But reality is what? We, we live in a world every single day we are all confronted with the fact that relationships around us, families and marriages are in chaos by many in our, in our culture and our society. Kids are in complete rebellion. Anything that mom and dad tell them, they want to do the opposite. And we have parents that are absolutely confused. Like, you have no idea. What, what do I do with this little one? Corruption abounds everywhere. Every single day in the news, we're reminded of what? The, the corruption of people's character is brought to the surface. 
More dirt is found. More things are spewed. Everyone knows it. What's quite interesting is this, is that when, when Dr. Phil on television says what? Yeah, your, your marriage is a wreck because you're an idiot, because you're acting like an idiot. And everyone plaw, applauds and claps and says, wow, he's amazing. And yet when someone else stands upon the authority of the word of God and says, oh yeah, your marriage is a wreck because you're in complete rebellion against your creator, then what? Then all of a sudden we're the weird one. When anyone claims absolute truth from the authority of God's word, that's the world that we live in, and yet God, what? He still intervened. God still came in to rescue us and to save us. Like, how, how did he do that? How, how, how does that happen? That's this text that we're in. It's a revealing of how God rescues man. Follow along as I draw your attention to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Over the next couple weeks, actually, we're going to spend time on this next week and, and also on Christmas Eve. And we're going to examine particularly verse 6. Let, let, me, let me read it in its context. It says, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, this is somewhat familiar of a verse at Christmas time. You've probably seen it on a card or two. And we know it's not Matthew 1 or Luke 2, the typical Christmas text. It's, it's a prophecy about Jesus. Although Jesus, the name Jesus is not found here, it's telling us about this one, the Messiah. It's a messianic prophecy, it's called. These words actually penned, 740 years before Jesus arrived in that manger. 740 years. Let me give you a little bit of the setting here. It's written by a man. His name is Isaiah, obviously. Um, uh, He was a prophet. A prophet is simply one who proclaims the truth of God to other people. We don't know a lot about him personally. Some, Some details... Um, his father's name was Amos. We do know that he was married. Um, we do know that he had children. Isaiah 7 and 8 talk about this. It does appear that Isaiah lived in the city of Jerusalem and, and he was persecuted or punished because he was a truth teller, a prophet of God. According to tradition, he was actually put into a, a hollowed out log and sawn or cut in pieces. Hebrews chapter 11 says this is what actually happened to to prophets. And they believe that that's exactly what happened to the prophet Isaiah when he was died because he was speaking the truth of God. Now this book that is written, this message that we read, the book of Isaiah is actually a vision that God had given to Isaiah and he wrote it down over a period of 80 years. 
during the reign of four different kings. And there's one major theme throughout the entire 66 books of Isaiah. And the theme is God. The theme for Isaiah is God himself and that everything that God does is for his own glory. Entire theme of Isaiah is focused on God and everything that happens is for his own glory. It's best summarized in chapter 48, verse 11. It says this, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. My glory, I will not give to another. Basically, a microcosm of this book is explained in chapters 1 and 2 and basically announces the fact that, that God has a judgment waiting for his own people and for the rest of the world because they have been given much. They have been the recipients of amazing grace. God has protected them and God has provided for them. And his own children have been ungrateful. His own children have been unthankful. And because of that, there is like some really strong language that is written. Before we get to verse 6, for some reason we never hear about verse 5. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5. We don't see this on any Christmas cards. Listen to this. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Merry Christmas. No, it's in that darkness that there's a light. The light is what? For to us, a child is born. Now, all, all justice God says, I'm going to bring judgment. It's for a purpose. It's for a purpose to turn lives around. It's for a purpose to bring repentance so that we who have been recipients of God's unbelievable and amazing grace, that we would stop being ungrateful. That we would literally see his gift of grace and his glory abound everywhere. There's no better time. I believe there's no better time than at Christmas time to be reminded of this. There is what? This surprising plan of grace and glory. What I love about Isaiah, let's just side, sidebar here just for a moment, is that this, this, this book is not only special or unique because of its content, but because of its, of its preservation, literally its physical preservation over the years. It's for God's glory. Little did that Bedouin shepherd realize in 1947 when he was, when he was following his uh, a sheep up into an area where there were caves in Qumran Valley that there was a cave and, and he was actually afraid of what was in the cave and he took a rock and he threw it in the cave and he heard something crash and, and break. It was a clay pot, a clay jar. And it was the discovery of what? Arguably the greatest, greatest modern-day discovery in archaeology's history. It was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. One scroll literally known, there were, there were thousands of fragments and pieces, but one particular scroll known as 1QISA, dated from 125 B.C., and it would contain all 66 books, of all 66 chapters of Isaiah. They unrolled it. It was 24 feet long. Almost 100% of the entire book of Isaiah was perfectly preserved. It's special and it's unique. It doesn't distinguish itself from, from, from canonical authority from any other book. It's just a reminder that God, what? God has a word and he promises to protect and to preserve his word. Just a gift for us, a reminder of his authority. 
I want to spend a little bit of time over these next couple weeks kind of taking these words apart and examining them. Look at not just the context, but the content of this announcement and how that applies and affects you and I today, today, Christmas 2017. Number one, God had a plan that revealed his glory. God had a plan and it simply reveals his glory and it's through what I refer to as a miraculous birth. A birth unlike any other. It says this, for to us, to us, a child is born. To us. You know, part of the excitement, I think, part of the buildup of Christmas is the whole is the whole wrapping paper thing. You know those long rolls, okay? And, and like a box will come in, it gets scurried and hidden away, and it comes out wrapped. It's all beautiful. And it's, it's this paper that, that we, we put bows on it, and it catches our attention, and we take this box that's been carefully wrapped, and we position it under the tree perfectly so you don't see like the ugly tape marks underneath it, okay? And you go through these piles and piles of paper and, and scotch tape. We put them in, and in all honesty, that's like really neat. Like that catches our attention, but there's one part of that present that we're really looking for. We're looking for that little tag that says, to my Timothy. That's what we're looking for. I mean, be honest. Like the package is like neat and all the wrapping and it's beautiful, but we're looking for what? To dad, to pop pop. I answer to anything. I want what's in that box. I want what's wrapped up. Do you realize what, what it says here? It says what? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. To you, you can't, you can't, you can't just isolate Isaiah chapter 9 to say, well, to us, you have to look at its context. Go back one page to Isaiah chapter 7. This is what, there's a connection here. There's a short, straight line drawn to, wait a minute, I, I remember as I was reading this, that this, this present, this surprise that is directed to us, there's a little bit more detail to it. Look at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you. <laughs> there it is again. There's a tag with your name on it. Do you get it? We will give you a sign. You're going to know this is for you by a sign. And here's the sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And she call his name Emmanuel. It's that one sign. It's that description of what that sign is. A virgin shall conceive. That is an absolute miracle. You see, those things don't happen. Now, any one of you who have um, mom and, and dad who have been blessed by God's grace with a gift, your son or your daughter, you, you, you know, okay, no doubt that the whole like birth thing, like that is a miracle. There were two people, I remember, I was there for both, for the, for the, for, for the, bir- bu- for the birth of both of our children. I got really nervous then too. January the 27th, 1991, 
Uh, was a snowstorm, January the 23rd, 1993. There was a snowstorm. But I was there on both those days. And what's interesting is like, like, like my, my wife and I, we go into this room and doctors there, nurses there. There's two in our family that are in this room. And what? Three come out. I don't know about you, but that's, like, that's pretty miraculous. But what's interesting is this, is that when our son and when our daughter were born, there was no news cameras there. Like there was no trucks rolling in. Like you wouldn't believe what happened. Two people went in that room. Three came out. What, why? why? Well, believe it or not, it's really not that uncommon for what? A young couple, for a mommy and a daddy to, to, to make a baby. And that from what? Their love and the gift that God has given to them that life begins and what? Birth happens. And yes, it's a miracle, but it's totally different. Totally different than what? There will be a sign. And the sign is that a virgin a young woman who has never, ever, ever been with another man is going to give birth. Excuse, yeah, that, that, that doesn't happen. It can't happen that way. No, no, for you and I, it can't happen. But there's one who's revealing his glory, and he doesn't work like anyone else. He says, I want you to be looking for this. I want you to be looking for this. I love the way that um, a commentary on the Holy Scriptures, a couple guys, Lang, Schaaf, Nagelsbach, Lowry, and more commented on what this phrase means. To us, a child is born. They write this, and I quote, Thus the statement fits this place very well, that one day there will be a birth, the fruit of which will be a child, which fashioned wonderfully and infinitely higher than all other human children will establish the kingdom of David, his ancestor, not only on the firmest of foundations, but shall raise it up to the point of eternal power and peace. What's accommodating about the fact here is that God reveals his glory through this miraculous birth, through a virgin giving birth, and it is part of a perfect plan of what an eternal kingdom of peace that is established regardless of the fact that we oftentimes live in complete rebellion. That the nation Israel, in a sense, was constantly receiving gifts of God's grace and they failed to recognize it. And God still, still gave to us this miracle. Gave to us what? To us child is born. It's a gift for you and I. I I find a lot of times at Christmas, we kind of take this like whole virgin birth, the the young mother Mary, the virgin Mary, and we kind of just like brush by that. Yeah, but there were, there were like big camels in the, in the stable and there were, there were sheep and and donkeys and, and the wise men were there. And then there's a little baby. Wait, wait, just stop. Yes. Let's just hold on here to what God did to bring, what, his son to us. Unlike anything, pause on that. But what, one of the clear doctrines that we are established as a church, one of the bedrock, found, the foundation, is the fact that we believe as a church that, that, that God himself was the one who impregnated that God himself, in the, in the amazing work of a divine miracle, 
allowed this gift to happen. Don't, don't brush by that. That we believe in the virgin birth as a basic and a reminder that God had a plan to reveal his glory and it is unlike anything, anything else ever. Secondly, God promised a solution to our problem, in a sense, that demonstrates his grace. Not only do we see a miraculous birth, but we see a marvelous Savior. For to us, not only a child is born, but to us, again, there's that tag with our name on it, for to us a son is given. What I find is interesting here is that we, just like that nation Israel, can quickly breeze by all that God has done for us. That we too, like that nation Israel, because of what the, the deceitfulness in our own hearts, we can become very, very ungrateful and unthankful to like everyday blessings that we're receiving that God is lavishly pouring upon us. Un- unlike any other family, we receive what this time of the year, we receive Christmas cards and it, 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 it seems to be that this is the time of year people will send pictures of themselves and their celebrations and kind of summary statements for the entire year. And we, we celebrate this graduation and we celebrate this marriage in our family and we celebrated this, this, this victory. And, and, and we were able to go on this vacation. And I would have to be honest that the majority, the majority, not all of them, that the majority of notes and cards... That, that announce what? Their blessings of this past year. There is no indication, there is no indication that it is by God's grace we were able to celebrate a birth in our family. By God's grace in his gift to us, we were able to what? Go away on a family and celebrate vacation. There's, there's very little mention of that. It's all about like, yeah, we've just received this and it's been amazing, it's been amazing. Yeah, we've been received this, but, but God has gifted this to us. And that's like the little things in life. What about the greatest problem that exists in our life? The fact that we are in what? We are in complete rebellion to a holy creator. And that there is a solution here. There is a gift that is given and it is his own son. Now, now we know here that it mentions in the same verse that a son is given. And yet in the same verse, we know that this is all referring to Jesus, that he's also referred to as our everlasting father. Now, for theological geeks that are out there, you're like, wait, wait a minute. There's some kind of a conundrum here. There's a problem. There's some tension here. In the same text that Jesus is referred to as the Son, he is also referred to as the Everlasting Father. Like, how, like, how does that work? Like, does, doesn't really make sense. Biologically speaking, or logically speaking, we know that every single son has a father, right? And we know that a father, excuse me, a son can also be a father. I, I'm a son, but I also am a father. And we, we also know that, that not every son is a father. And it's kind of hard, like, like, what's exactly happening here? Until we step back and say, wait a minute, who are we talking about? Who, who are we talking about? We're talking about the son of God himself. 
What is happening here as Isaiah in his vision is writing down? He's giving to us a glimpse of what? He's giving to us a glimpse of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son. We know that God the Holy Spirit also is a part, but in this reference we see God the Father and God the Son. The the Son is not the Father and the Father is not the Son. They're unique and they are completely distinct and yet they are completely one. Hard Hard to get this. Hard to fully understand it and grasp it, but it is necessary. Again, we race by verses like this, but there's what? Basic doctrine and understanding of what we believe as a church, that what God is a triune God. And it is important for us to get this. How important? In 325 um, AD, Constantine the Great, or referred to as Constantine the First, called together a group of church leaders. We now know it is, it is referred to as the Council of Nicaea. They were meeting in Turkey. And, and they called together all the church fathers because they, they were seeking a solution to a disagreement that had come among some of the people. There was a Christological issue of trying to determine the relationship of the divine nature of God the Son with the relationship of God the Father. There's one particular church father, his name was Arius, and he suggested that, um, I quote, that the Son of God did not always exist, but he was begotten by the Father, which would mean that what? Jesus is not eternal. That God the Father somehow created at one particular time, there was a start to Jesus. We know that it's heresy, it's wrong. Arius was completely wrong. What many people don't realize is that in, particular, in that particular council of Nicaea, there was another church father. His name was St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas. And you think, wait a minute. Yeah, it, that's the one. That's the one. St. Nick was actually there. And when he heard Arius' heresy, Arius' false doctrine, he was so furious in this meeting, he literally got up, he walked across the room, and he punched Arius in the face. I was listening to a message from Jared Wilson preaching on this very subject, and he was talking about, yeah, you know, Santa Claus, you always talk about if you're, if, you're, if you're naughty, you're going to get a lump of coal in your stocking. No, 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 no. What it's really talking about is if you have, if you have bad theology, then you're going to get punched in the face by Santa Claus. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Hold on to that. Why? Because there's a doctrine here that is staple. It's foundational. Just, just as the doctrine of the virgin birth is important, that we can't just pass over at Christmas time. The doctrine of a triune God. It is, it is revealed to us right here. The gift that is given, a surprising gift, the, the, the rebelliousness, the destruction that surrounds us, There's a gift that is given, and that gift is the Son of God. The Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son. But it's telling us something that is pretty unique, that is pretty special. After Jesus was born in that little manger, he grew up. Lived an absolute perfect life. I can't imagine a two-year-old that was not in rebellion to his parents. And yet Jesus never As Jesus grew, he became a 13-year-old boy. I cannot imagine a 13-year-old boy, 13-year-old boy who never questioned his father or his mother ever. He was 
perfect. He was sinless. He grew up and it is recorded that he was teaching. And we know this in John chapter 10, in verse 30, he actually makes this statement. He says, I and the father are one. He revealed what? Something about himself. Later on, we know in John chapter 14, verse 9, he says, whoever has seen me, if you have seen me, you have also what? You've seen the father. You realize what is being examined here, that the gift in the chaos that surrounds us, the gift, the surprise for us, wrapped up with our name on it, we get to open it up, is God himself that has been offered to us as the only solution. The only solution. Here's the essence of this text. In the time of darkness that Isaiah was writing, and certainly the day that you and I live in today, to us, a child is born. God had a plan that reveals his glory. A miraculous birth, a virgin birth. To us, what? We don't, we don't deserve this gift. It's cool to get a gift. It's like really cool to get a gift you don't deserve. It's great to get a gift. It's like really great to get a gift that you know you do not deserve. And that's exactly what God is doing for us. We know to us a son is given. God promised a solution to the sin-wrecked hearts that we have. Just this week, just this week, I was reminded of the darkness and the blackness and the grossness that exists in my own heart, how, how deceitfully and desperately wicked my heart is. Just allow thoughts to come through something. Something just passes and it triggers something. And man, you just get angry on that, frustrated on that. that, that I'm, I'm a pastor. I've known the Lord for 40 plus years. And yet there's still what? There is still the need for me to cry out as David does in Psalm 51. Please, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Have mercy on me. Daily, daily, I have to pray. As David, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's the only way that I can be in right relationship. I'm thankful that I've trusted and that any one of us who has acknowledged that Jesus is truly the Savior of the world, who saves all of us from all of our sins, that we can submit to him and surrender to him as Lord and live as ones who are forgiven, his own children, forgiven because of Jesus. And, and so, so we got a day and a week. Can, can I remind you, go slow. Got this long list, got to do this and chop, we got to do this and pick this up and make this and stir this and like hang this up and then like do this. We just, we just feel, just go slow and see this, know this. To us, child is born. God reveals his glory. To us, your name, the son is given. With all the, with all the hype and all the anticipation there is no gift that can or will satisfy what, but the gift, the gift will. Go with me later on in the book of Isaiah as we transition here to think about what this gift, what, what this entailed and what was offered for us. In Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus Christ, 
Remember, 740 years before the time of Jesus, and there's like a perfect description. Perfect description. It says he, speaking of Jesus in verse 3, was despised and rejected by men. Baby born and grew, he lived a perfect life, and he was totally rejected. Man of sorrows, he was acquainted or familiar with grief. As from as 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 one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. And yet surely it says he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. And yet we still esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and he was afflicted. I love verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. How accurate. Hundreds of years before nails were driven through his hand, Hundreds of years before a spear driven into his side. Isaiah wrote, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all, of all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Never complaining knowing of the pain and the agony. And we know that that is the picture exactly that Jesus wanted to display, wanted to show his disciples. We know that we learn visually Jesus, the greatest communicator, the greatest teacher was sitting the night right before he was betrayed, right before he went into the garden of Gethsemane to pray in agony to to say, Lord, please remove this. Father, remove this cup. But nevertheless, it's not what I want but you want to offer your glory. Before he did that, he was with the disciples and, and he wanted to give them a lesson. He took some, some bread and he held it up in front of them and he, and he broke it. He said, this, this bread is a picture of my body. This is what's going to happen to me. And he tore the bread, he broke it. Just like, just like this bread was, was whole and then it was in pieces, that's what's going to happen to my body. And they're kind of scratching their heads like, what do you mean you're sitting here in front of us? And he took the, the cup of the, it had wine in it, the fruit of the vine. He poured it out. And as he poured it, poured all of it out and passed it around. They drank this. He said, this is a picture of my blood. It's going to be poured out for you. The crucifixion, the beatings. It was a bloody mess. He was a bloody mess. And he suffered. And yet, even in all of the suffering, never complained. Never said a word. Why? Because he saw you to us. Child is born to us. He saw you. And he took this. We know that it was through the shedding and the pouring out of Jesus' blood, the, the only, the only one who lived a perfect and sinless life the only one who could ever pay the price 
for your sin, all of your sins, everything, everything that I've thought or done, every gross, horrible sin, God, what, cleanses and washes it through the shedding of his blood. And this is a gift that is given. And we're told as a church, and we regularly do this until the Lord comes again. Don't forget this. So this is for you. You are here this morning. You've acknowledged the fact that you're a safe, that, that you're a sinner. And usually we don't need a lot of convincing on that. We know that. And yet we deserve punishment. We deserve death and we deserve God's wrath. And yet, although we are sinners, God stepped in and gave to us, offered to us his son to be our savior. If you've acknowledged that and you recognize that there is no other salvation, there's no way you can get to heaven, no good things you can do. You can't sit in church long enough. You can't sing enough songs. That it's acknowledging that you're a sinner and that Jesus forgives and saves your sin through his own death and that you surrender and submit to him and you desire to live in obedience, live as him being Lord of your life. If you've acknowledged that and made that decision, the elders are going to serve this to you. Please, please take that. Don't forget what Jesus has done. Perhaps you're here today and you're still wrestling and struggling. You, 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 you came to the conclusion you're a sinner, but you don't know what to do with that. You came to the conclusion that you're not really in close relationship with, with God. Then let me, let me encourage you that in this very moment, in the quietness of your own heart, right now, you can say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve your wrath. But I trust Jesus. I acknowledge the fact that I believe that he is the savior of the world. And I want to follow him in obedience and live in submission to him. And you, then you can make that decision right now. Right now, this day, this moment. And for the first time, you can receive this as a follower of Jesus. And that is my prayer that every single one of us here, every single one of us here can receive this and remember today, this moment, what Jesus has done. I'm going to invite the elders to come up and they're going to serve you. Just so that you know, they're going to serve you the, the bread first. I'm going to ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. And then we will um, take the cup together. Uh, Thankful, thankful for what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing.